Well, this is it. It's my last one. Last sermon as the lead pastor of Bayview Glen Church in Toronto, Canada. So I Googled famous last words this week to put myself in the mood. General John Sedgwick was a 19th century war general. He stood up and his compatriots, his army said to him, John, you should, you should sit down, bud, because they're gonna shoot you. General John Sedgwick's last words were, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Trouble is, they weren't shooting at an elephant. They were shooting at John Sedgwick and they could hit him. Those were his last words. Henrik Ibsen's last words were, on the contrary. A visitor came and a nurse told that visitor that Henrik Ibsen was feeling a little bit better. His last words were, on the contrary. Marie Antoinette's last words were, pardon me, sir, I meant not to do it. She spoke those words to her executioner as they walked together toward the guillotine. She accidentally stepped on his toe and said, pardon me, sir, I meant not to do it. Someone make that lady an honorary Canadian. That is a, that's an I'm sorry for no, sense at all. That, that, that is a Canadian vibe right there for sure. This sermon has uh, caused me a little bit of consternation and stress, to be honest with you, because I just kind of got amped up about it. What, what do I want to say? What last charge do I want to give? What last comments do I want to impart to you? What is the thing that I, I want to tell you as I wrap up my time here at Baby Glen? And it dawned on me about Monday of this week that that's a stupid question. Oh, sorry, Kai doesn't want me to say stupid. That that's the wrong question. What do I want to say? Something shifted in my brain and I started to ask the question, what would God want to say? What would God want to say through me to you as I transition into a new role? And then I thought about the apostle Paul and his famous last words that are recorded in his second letter to his protege, Timothy. Remember, Paul writes this. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. What's he talking about there? Paul knows he's going to die. Now, I'm not dying. That's not the transition I'm making, but this is the transition Paul is making. And he writes this letter to Timothy and charges him with these final last words. Timothy, if you get nothing else, this is the most important stuff. So here's what I did this week. I read through 2 Timothy a couple times, and I wondered, what would God say through his word, through me to you as a final charge? And I pulled out eight things, just eight. And I just want to share them with you as kind of a final exhortation Number one, <clears throat> know that I'm praying for you. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I love you very much. I will pray for you and think of you night and day. Number two, fan your gift into flame. 
Paul writes this to Timothy, he says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. I love that, you know I'm an analogy guy, I love that analogy. It's like there's a spark in a fire and you've gotta do some work, you've gotta fan it into flame because if you don't fan it, if you don't give it oxygen, it's gonna burn out, it's gonna fade away. Paul says, you have a gift. Something's been put inside you, a spark has been put inside you. And I would say to you, Bayview Glen Church, the word of God teaches you have a supernatural ability that God gave you in order to edify the body. It's called a spiritual gift. There's more than 20 of them listed in the New Testament. Prophecy, teaching, preaching, mercy, service, hospitality, you name it, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Here's my exhortation. Figure out how God has gifted you and fan that gift into flame. You might be asking, how do I fan that gift into flame? Is you start putting it into action. Get on a serve team, get in a life group, get in a huddle, start serving people, start working together with the body of Christ and it will help you discover what that gift is and then fan it into flame. Community is the oxygen that that spark needs in order to become a flame. So number one, I'm praying for you. Number two, fan your gift into flame. Number three, guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. Paul writes this, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And here's why I say it this way, to guard the gospel, because sometimes I think we forget what the gospel is or we confuse it for something that it isn't. We confuse it for cultural privilege. We confuse it for, for uh, you know, having the flag of Christianity flown over the province of Ontario or over all of Canada. That's not the gospel. Starbucks putting a manger on their cups at Christmas is not the gospel. The gospel is simply this, that Jesus went to a cross for you and for me, took the pain, took the shame, took the sin, and on the third day rose again from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And his plan to redeem all things is in process. And when he comes again, he will complete that plan. And we join with him now as ministers of reconciliation, God to people and people to one another. Guard it, protect it ruthlessly. Don't let it mutate into something that it's not. Guard the gospel, number four. Disciple somebody, disciple somebody. Paul writes this, he says, you then my child, uh, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and listen to the layers here. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men that they might teach others also. I'll do it again. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men that they might teach others also. There's four layers there. Paul is saying, I've given it to you. You give it to somebody else so that they can pass it on. You don't know what discipleship is. A disciple is a person who systematically reorganizes their life in order to reflect the character and priorities of Jesus. So discipling someone is coming alongside them, typically someone who is younger in the faith than you are, and helping them systematically reorganize their life in order to in order to reflect the character and priorities of Jesus. You might say, I don't know any people younger than me in the faith. I don't know any people that might need discipleship. Can I make it real easy for you? 
drop a line to S at bayviewglen.org. He's our community pastor. He will help you find somebody. He'll help you find a life group, a huddle, or an individual that can disciple you so you can disciple somebody else and they can disciple others also. So number four, disciple somebody. Number five, stay focused. Stay focused. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Bayview Glen Church, stay focused. Don't let this thing get off track. Don't become a church about programs or ministries or all these things that we kind of get focused on and we get very myopic. Focus on the cross and focus on Christ and his grace. Focus on unity in the body. Stay focused. Don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Here's the next one, and this one's kind of near and dear to my heart. It's especially personal. Mind your tongue. Mind your tongue. It's fascinating to me that this is Paul's last letter that he ever wrote that we know of. He's writing effectively on his deathbed. He knows he's going to be beheaded in Rome. He's writing to this person that he loves very dearly, and he mentions Timothy's speech multiple times. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. He says, don't bicker and argue and whine about secondary theological issues or about the, the stuff that really doesn't matter. Avoid that stuff. Run from it. You be a person whose speech is seasoned with salt, who speaks grace into somebody else's life and moves unity in the body forward. Mind your tongue. Number seven, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Have you ever asked somebody, what's your favorite Bible promise? Nobody ever quotes this verse. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a a Bible promise right there, isn't it? A Bible promise of hope. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, if you're preaching grace, if you're exalting Jesus, if you are systematically reorganizing your life in order to reflect His character and priorities, you are going to be persecuted. So please don't be surprised. Please don't go, Why you persecute? Why am I being persecuted? Why am I enduring hardships? Why am I having to persevere through this stuff? Jesus himself said, if they persecuted me, they're sure as heck going to persecute you. That's the NLT for you, by the way. Don't be surprised. Finally, be gracious. Maybe that's the most important thing I could say to you today is just to be gracious. Sawyer talked about this last week. He talked about a... Um, <clears throat> An interaction that Paul had with Barnabas, and it, the interaction was so difficult and so intense, they decided to go their separate ways. Do you remember what they talked about? Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on the missionary journey, and Paul didn't. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, Paul didn't. He said, John Mark abandoned us back in this particular place at this particular time. I don't want to take him again. I'm not with it. And they, their, their, their conflict was so intense that they went their separate ways. Listen to some of Paul's famous last words Luke alone is with me, not me, the one that wrote the Bible. Luke alone is with me. Now listen to what he says. Get Mark and bring him with you. 
for he is very useful to me in ministry. We don't know what happened between that conflict between Paul and Barnabas and this moment at the end of Paul's life where he says, this guy that I refused to take years ago, that I thought had abandoned me and betrayed me, we don't know what happened. But at the end of his life, he says, get him and bring him to me. Two verses later, he would say, at my defense, no one came to stand by me, but still deserted me. Now listen to what Paul says. May it not be charged against them. Friends, be gracious to one another. Forgive one another. <clears throat> there may even be that relationship that's been fractured or broken a long time ago. Do something about it today. Forgive and seek forgiveness and be gracious to one another. It's been a joy to serve you.